Freedom Fighters Code Grey. This is a show where we discuss human trafficking. We often think about human trafficking as something that happened in the past, as something that happens in other countries and other places, not something that happens in our own backyard. But in fact, the city of Barrie has doubled the national trafficking rate. And we know that children as young as 12 years old are being targeted and recruited into exploitation here in our communities. So today, I'm really excited to have on the show Debbie Pons, who is the director and chair of the board for You Are Home Awareness and Support Services. Welcome, Debbie. My pleasure. So Debbie, could you just share for us, like, what is human trafficking? You know, some of our viewers might be thinking, oh, I saw the movie Taken, I've seen Pretty Woman. Can you just break it down for us? What is human trafficking? Is it like any of those things? Is it something completely different? Human trafficking is not like Taken or Pretty Woman. It may have some elements uh, in the movies that relate, but really it's when a person or a group of people will exploit, they'll manipulate, and they'll control a person. So everything that they do is controlled by that trafficker. And how they do it is through exploitation, through threats, violence, that sort of thing. So, and it's for usually sexual services or for forced labor. So we see that often across the country. The most common form that we see here in Canada is sex trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation, but we also see forced labor as well here in Ontario mm -hmm. and across the country. So what is commercial sexual exploitation? What, what is that type of trafficking? Where does it happen? How does it happen? So it happens, so child exploitation and also sex trafficking. So someone under the age of 18 is considered a child under the law here in Canada. And then over the age of 18. So it can either be a child that they're exploiting for sex trafficking, or it can be a person over the age of 18 that they're exploiting. So that's how it happens, or the age group that it happens to. And where it happens is if you look at massage parlors, uh, they advertise the services online, um, strip clubs, um, and it happens in like Airbnbs and condos and homes and some motels. So it can happen really anywhere in relation to those things. Uh, also the filming of pornography. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone thinks that the young girls or the young men that are on those films, or those videos, are there by choice, but mm -hmm. many of them are being forced. They're not there by choice. That's a good point that you're making. I mean, I know with our laws in Canada and the way that um, pornography is produced like there's no way for someone who's viewing to know if that person's consenting and they have no way of knowing that age of that individual that's in the film and so um, some of the places that you mentioned Airbnbs hotels and motels um, even strip clubs you know are featured in television and and movies and things like that but that's places where exploitation is taking place. Airbnbs is a really interesting one because Airbnbs are pretty new in our like society, right? So how does that work? How is someone trafficked for sex in Airbnbs when it's just a temporary resident? So the trafficker would just go to whoever the owner is and just rent it. Um, you know, usually you don't have to say what the purpose is of why you're renting the Airbnb. 
So they can rent it for you know a short period of time, for three or four days, or maybe a week or two. That wouldn't be uncommon. So again, there's not a lot of oversight in relation to the Airbnbs. They're sort of on their own. Lots of times there's a key lock that you can use to get in. You never even meet the owner of the Airbnb. So mm. that's why it's one of the chosen places and we see a rise of that. Mm. There can be a conflation between sex work and sex trafficking. And in some of these places, um, some people are there by choice. Can you just discuss briefly like the difference between consensual sex work and the difference between sex trafficking? So sex trafficking is when someone is forced, so they're not there by choice. So it's not something they've chosen. Whereas uh, a person who is choosing to work in sex work, um, they're making a, a choice. They're making a choice to be part of that work. This is the work they want to do. Uh, for a number of women too, it can be a constrained choice. So it could be influenced by poverty and many other indicators in their lives, mm -hmm. maybe um, mental health issues or substance abuse issues. So we know that that also influences their choice. We know that it's a small percentage of those involved as a sex worker would be there by choice. Mm -hmm. They have other choices that they could make, but lots of the women who are related to the constrained choice don't have those choices. And then, of course, in trafficking, sex trafficking, they're being forced. Hmm. How does, you know, trafficking happen? What's the process? There's a word that's used called the grooming process. How is someone groomed for the purposes of sexual exploitation in Simcoe County in Ontario? Can you explain that to yes. us? So traffickers are very good. They're very good talkers. They're very charming. They have lots of charisma. And they're very good at reading the vulnerabilities of the young women that they're mm -hmm. targeting. So the first thing that they're doing is they're luring and recruiting. So they go to places where young people are and they look at the young woman and is she the right fit? Are they going to be able to lure and recruit them into this lifestyle? So they look at that and they meet them, they start to talk with them. The next portion is the grooming and that's where they start to build that trusting relationship. They talk about like, I want to listen to you. I want to hear your dreams. You know, maybe it is that they're talking about a fight where they've had their parents or maybe they've had a hard time at school. Maybe they're not part of a group at school. They're feeling very lonely and vulnerable. So they will start to spend time with them. They will take them out to nice places. They'll buy them nice clothes. They will maybe take them to nice restaurants, get their hair done, their nails done. That's part of that grooming process. They're isolating them from their friends and family. And lots of times their parents may never meet this new boyfriend. In her eyes, it's a boyfriend. In his eyes, she's a commodity. She's a way that he's going to be making money. And then out of that, there's always a payout for it. So whether they've been going to parties and all the clothing they're buying, there could be the introduction too of substances like alcohol and drugs into their relationship. And mm. at some point he will say, this is not all for free. Mm. You now owe me, you have a debt, you're gonna pay it, and this is how you're gonna pay it. Mm. So that's where the coercion comes in, the manipulation. They start to force them to have sexual services, offer sexual services. 
And the other thing that they do is they will often have a sexual relationship with the young girl. So when they have sex with them, they may give them money to go buy a new outfit. And what they're doing is they're conditioning their mind that they're associating having sex with getting paid. Hmm. So that when they have sold that young girl to a customer, to a John, um, they will get the money. So it's not an uncommon feeling for them. Oftentimes, too, in the coercion part, they're forcing them to watch pornography. That way they're educating them and desensitizing them to the kind of sexual acts that a person may ask them for. So that's part of all the manipulation. The control piece is they're told, you know, how often they're going to eat, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how long they're going to work, how much money they're going to have to make, how many men they may have to see in a day. So they have a quota system. They have rules and regulations that, like if they call, if a trafficker calls and they don't pick up on a second ring, then they owe more money. So even though they may try and get out, they say, okay, if I pay off this debt, I'll leave. They'll never be able to pay mm. off the debt because it just grows and grows because of the way the trafficker uh, manipulates them. Mm. And what you're pointing to is these traffickers are expert psychological manipulators, right? <laughs> they are um, preying on the needs of individuals, whether that's shelter, clothing, wanting to be loved, providing those things for them and then exploiting them, right? Giving them things, promising them a life together and then demanding repayment. Can, you know, when we talk about movies like Taken or they, we get these visuals of someone um, potentially being chained in bondage, we know that's not necessarily how trafficking happens here. Very briefly, could you explain to us why is it so difficult for someone to leave a situation of trafficking after that you know manipulation process someone promising these things and taking them away why is it so difficult for that youth uh, boy or girl or woman to leave that situation so then there's many barriers to why um, a person involved in a trafficking situation just can't walk away one of the things is there's a trauma bond that has really happened between their trafficker and themselves so they really feel that this is a person they're going to build a life with they really love this person even though sometimes it's hard to understand that but they really care for this person even though there may be violence involved in a relationship but they've also remembered that they've been isolated from their friends and family so their whole circle now has been the trafficker and those individuals who are part of that trusted circle that the trafficker has built so that becomes their family for some of the young girls and women, uh, if they have children, they're told that their children will be taken away from them. So that's a huge barrier. Another barrier is they're told that they're the criminals. If you leave, the police are gonna arrest you and you're gonna go to jail. Mm -hmm. So again, they convince them that agencies and police, you know, you don't wanna talk to them because you're going to go to jail. Oftentimes too, when we look at forced labor, they don't understand our culture. They don't, uh, they don't know our language. They don't know who to talk to. Mm. So again, those are some of the barriers that yeah. we have in relation to leaving uh, any trafficking situation. And in terms of labor, like they may not know from whatever country they've come from that seeking the support of police is a safe thing to do and Absolutely. they won't be reprimanded. 
Um, and also just on the, the sex trafficking piece and, and someone exiting, and you were mentioning a trauma bond, um, some viewers might be familiar with Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, and I read a psychological yeah. study that kind of talked about that, right? That, mm -hmm. that bond that's so difficult, even though there's exploitation and abuse and hurt within the context of that relationship. The psychological manipulation these traffickers do make it so difficult for an individual who is in one of these situations to leave. And you mentioned some of the barriers. So viewers, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our conversation today. Even though we're wrestling with some really difficult subject matter, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back shortly to continue our discussion on human trafficking. Freedom Fighters Code Grey, a talk show where we discuss human trafficking, an issue that's happening in our own backyard. Today I have with me Debbie Pond, who is the director and chair of the board at Your Home Awareness and Support Services. Debbie and I were just um, chatting about, you know, how trafficking happens here in our community mm -hmm. and why it's so difficult for people to leave situations of exploitation. So Debbie, for our viewers, what are some of the common signs and indicators that people can look out for to identify potential situations of human trafficking in our communities? So one of the signs that we see is that young people, especially young people, are on social media a lot. They're on it for extended periods of time. So that is one way we know that they become really vulnerable is if they're on social media. Uh, for parents, some of the clues that you would look for if your child has new friends that you know nothing about, they've been introduced, mm -hmm. they haven't been introduced, I mean. Um, maybe your child or your young girl has an older boyfriend. Uh, maybe that person has not been introduced and they know about the boyfriend, but they've never been introduced and they've not even been introduced to her social circle. So that's another indicator. Or if your child is coming home with expensive gifts mm -hmm. that you know they've not been able to purchase, uh, again, maybe they're going out to restaurants and they're hanging out with a different crowd. Maybe you're seeing an increase in alcohol and drug use, some sort of substance abuse. We see that. Oftentimes, they may be missing school. We know of some young girls who actually leave school during a couple periods that they have free, and they will meet up with their trafficker, and they're forced at that point to provide sexual services during school. So they're, they're still going to school. Some of them are still living at home with their families. They haven't totally left their families. Sometimes you'll see and hear the language of the sex mm -hmm. industry. So if they talk about the game, the game is a game of sex trafficking. Or if they talk about what a John is, the John is a person who is purchasing um, sexual services. Or maybe a bottom. The bottom girl is the girl who is trusted most trusted by the trafficker. Mm. And it's often talked about that there is a stable, he has a stable or she has a stable of girls that they force into sex trafficking. Again, so sometimes you see the clothing that they're wearing is not really appropriate either for the weather or just not appropriate clothing that they would be wearing for their age. So we often see these things. They're not engaged in their social activities that they're normally involved in. It could be maybe sports or 
clubs at school or a youth group, but they're no longer. They don't want to interact with the family. They don't want to go on vacation or just normal activities that they're engaged with their family. They're not involved in those some of, the, some of those things. So there's many indicators. And the part of it is some of these indicators are just normal growing up. Mm -hmm. As a young person, you're going to exhibit some of these things. So if there's one or two, you may not be concerned. But if you have five or six of these in relation to uh, you may think, is this person possibly, is my child possibly being groomed mm -hmm. and lured or are they being trafficked? Yeah, and you mentioned um, in one of these indicators that clothing could be a potential indicator. Are there other outward visible indicators that we may see? Um, it could be, you know, a child at home, but maybe a viewer doesn't have kids or, you know, you might be out in the community. What are some other physical outward indicators of trafficking so they may seem like they're malnutritious mm. um, and we often talk with healthcare professionals mm. about some of the things that they would look for so they look for maybe they haven't sought medical care mm. so if you're looking you may see that they have bruises in other parts of their body that are covered by the clothing they're wearing or maybe they've had broken bones that have repaired but they never sought medical help for it uh, some of the other signs we will see are tattoos. It's called branding. Mm -hmm. So you may see like a barcode on a person or you may see a, a crown or gang related language or names of traffickers or could even be a slogan on their body. So those are some of the things. And also in a healthcare um, setting, when they come in, they will often not be the person giving the information. Mm -hmm. It will be the person that's with him. And that person might be the trafficker or it could be the trusted female companion with them. So it could be someone else. They may not have their, identif their, uh, their identification. Most of the time, that identification has been taken from them. So the trafficker or the person that's with the young girl would give that identification. They may seem like they're depressed or sad. They don't often look you in the eye and talk to you. So in a lot of those situations, when we talk with healthcare professionals, we say maybe if you can use whatever your purpose is that day to separate them so that you can talk safely with that young girl, even if it's for two or three minutes. And again, looking at the language that we would use, she does not probably see herself as being trafficked. So you may ask her questions like, you know, do you get to keep the money that you earn? Are you able to leave at any time? Can you call your friends or your family whenever you want? Mm -hmm. Those are just a few questions that you can ask her to kind of get a sense of where she is. Is she possibly being trafficked without having the trafficker there? And of course, safety is the number one thing whenever you're talking with somebody who mm -hmm. is possibly being trafficked. Her safety and your safety as well. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple things. One is that I notice in our in our language, myself included, we often use women and girls when we're speaking about trafficking. And I just want to reference and let our viewers know the reason we use that language is because the majority of, and we're talking about sex trafficking right now, of individuals who are trafficked globally for the purposes of sexual exploitation are women and girls. In fact, in fact it's 99% according to the Walkfree Foundation, an international labor organization. But with that being said, we are seeing more and more boys being trafficked here in Ontario. So it, this injustice is not, you know, a, 
gender specific necessarily, and so there are boys and men, and individuals who identify as non-binary who are also trafficked. Um, Debbie, you mentioned a couple things about emotion and behavior, right, of an individual you might suspect being trafficked. Can you talk a little bit more about that, some of the behaviors or emotional tendencies? You mentioned maybe not giving eye contact, right, avoiding eye contact, how someone might act that's in a trafficking situation but still at home or uh, going to school or going to see a nurse. Yeah, so again, they're being controlled, so they're being told what to do, what to wear, when to eat, so everything about their lives is being controlled by the trafficker. So you'll often see that there is depression that they're dealing with, other mental health issues that they may exhibit, you know. Uh, sometimes in relation to increased drug use and substance use. So you may see that more often, especially if they're living at home. You may see them become involved in other kinds of drugs, maybe working into cocaine, some of those other types of drugs that are out there, when maybe before they were only involved with smoking marijuana. So you often see those sort of things. Uh, the behavior, too, is that they're... They don't want to upset the trafficker. They have been told mm -hmm. how to act. So they're following a script, the trafficker, because oftentimes we know that violence becomes a part of the relationship with the traffickers. So if they don't follow the rules, there is discipline, as the trafficker would say, and that means violence usually. They're beaten, uh, they're bruised, and again, those broken bones that we see that we don't often see, mm -hmm. you know, that may be healed, and someone in a healthcare profession, if they take x-rays, they will see that they've had those broken bones before. Mm. So you often see that sort of thing. Mm. Where does this happen? Debbie, like how, how do traffickers find, identify potential targets and then begin that grooming process that you explained to us at the beginning of the show today? Like where, where are traffickers looking for for youth in particular, um, but even adults who may be vulnerable to trafficking? Just like it can happen to anyone, it can happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. But of course, there are places where youth hang out. So anywhere that youth hang out, community centers, social media is a huge one that we're seeing the influx in relation to traffickers. They're putting up either fake identifications online, saying they're, you know, they're a 16, 17-year-old young man, and maybe they're older, or they may say they're 20, 21, if the girl is 16 or 17. And that kind of might spark an interest. Oh, I have an older guy who's interested in me. But they're looking, they're watching to see what they're doing on social media. They see what their daily lives look like. Because so many of our kids have a huge digital footprint that they don't think about, that, about what they're posting online. So we often see that. Schools, we know that sometimes they're at schools or sometimes it's friends who are introducing them to the trafficker. Group homes, uh, girls in group homes are recruiting other girls in the group homes. One of the things we see too is if a young person is reported missing mm -hmm. often, we frequently see like maybe on a Friday, a young person is reported missing and then they're found on a Sunday. And we know that probably they could have been taken by the trafficker at that point and they're working with the trafficker then during that time. So again, any place young people, bus uh, depots we see, food courts and malls, just anywhere that young people hang out, parties, we see oftentimes community centers, all those places where young people are, mm. that's where they go. You mentioned online and our world is becoming increasing 
mostly online, right? We're using our smart devices, technology, like we're inundated with it, new apps emerging all the time. Um, we only have a few minutes left, but could you share with us, you know, a few apps that, you know, parents should be careful of, how to, you know, monitor online safety and how even traffickers are utilizing online, um, the online world to perpetuate demands, but also to recruit and find these individuals. So of course, Snapchat is one of the sites that we have re read and heard that there have been some traffickers that have uh, lured young girls through that. Instagram, uh, Twitter, young boys, you would look at the gaming, uh, what gaming uh, sites they're on or games they're playing online. Because if they're playing with somebody you know, in a virtual world, they don't know who that person is. So Facebook is not as popular with young people, of course. Dating sites, uh, Tinder, any of the dating sites. Uh, some of the other sites are related to music. If a young person really enjoys music, there's a number, there's over 3 million apps wow. that you can download. So what I would really encourage parents to do is become engaged with your kids online. And you know, you hand them a phone. And I often relate it to what it was like when I got the keys to the car when I was 16. You know, my parents just didn't hand me the keys and say, go drive. I had to take driving lessons. I had to pass a test. So when you're handing your child a smartphone and say it has data, you're going to want to sit down and talk to them about that. You're going to want to put up the parental controls on that phone. That, that important piece that, you know, you're going to be checking that phone. You have an agreement, sit down and talk about that with them, have an agreement about what they can go and where they can go to. And then as they get older, you're going to build trust and you're going to give them, you know, more independence to do the things that they want to do online. But again, it's really important to have that conversation and just know where your kids are. Who are their friends online? Mm -hmm. Do they know them mm -hmm. are, or do they not know a lot of their friends? Are they accepting friends? who's a friend of someone else online. Sometimes they think, oh, because my friend knows that person, that person must be okay. So they'll accept that friend request, right? Mm -hmm. Or they'll contact them. So there's many things that parents need to do in relation to that, you know, Absolutely. that safety online. Even like how parents themselves are sharing images of their mm -hmm. children and youth. And I feel like we could have a very long conversation you about could. online uh, safety and human trafficking because we're seeing the we're seeing trafficking change and traffickers move with the technology to um, exploit individuals in our community. So lastly, Debbie, is there you know one tangible thing that you could tell our viewers today of a way that they could fight this injustice that's happening in our communities? You know, um, everyone has skills that they have, and I think that they just need to look in their community and find an organization that they could volunteer with. Maybe it might be just a couple hours a month and maybe it's sitting at a table learning about human trafficking and being at a fundraiser event and being that person that's handing out some of the brochures. Whatever skills you have, I know that organizations are always looking for volunteers and they're more than willing to train you. There's free training online about human trafficking so you can take those courses yourself before you ever even go to an organization, but there are a number of organizations. And if you call the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking, if you go on their website, you'll be able to see many of the organizations listed there. 
Well, thank you so much, Debbie, for taking the time to share with us today to provide your knowledge on human trafficking to help raise awareness on what's happening in our own backyard, right? happening in Simcoe County, happening in Ontario. And viewers, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch Freedom Fighters Code Grey. If you um, know someone that's in a situation of trafficking and is in immediate danger, please call 911. Um, if you are a person who is being exploited in a trafficking situation, if you're looking for more information or support, you can call our 24-7 National Canadian Hotline um, number at 1-833-900-1010. Again, that's 1-833-900-1010, where you'll be able to talk with someone and get the support you need um, to assist you in exiting a situation of trafficking or to provide you with more information about human trafficking. Thank you so much, and we hope to catch you next week. Thank you.